I think what we think about is the best three areas right now would be kind of first and foremost core infrastructure opportunities. And part of that is a function of where our DNA is, right? Where the two entrepreneurs, Scott Casto and, 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 and Yandark Luders, you know, started building the business, you know, back in 97, you know, through, through hardware and software, it's really, it's really blockchain underlying tools and infrastructure to support an easier user experience to both read and write on blockchains. I think lower level account abstraction tech is super, super important to us right now. And it makes right using blockchains much easier for non-technical teams. And that's ultimately the goal is to serve the masses in this community. Hello, and welcome to Signals by AlphaSense, where we hear thoughtful insights from business leaders, investors, and experts. Hello, and welcome. You're listening to Signals by AlphaSense, and I'm your host, Nick Mazing. Our guest today is Eric Ellingson from CMT Digital, a major institutional player in blockchain and other emerging technologies. We'll have all the links in the show notes. We're going to discuss blockchain. Eric, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and about CMT Digital? Absolutely. So happy to start with, with CMT Digital, Nick. But before I do that, thank you very much for having me on. Really, really excited to be on the Signals podcast. You've put out great content. I've listened to a few over the last several months and even a year plus. So AlphaSets is a great player in, in leading the AI revolution. And excited to talk as, as a little bit of a preview and how I think an AI and blockchain potentially come together as well. But TMT Digital is a division of, of CMT Group and is a leading global blockchain and Web3 proprietary trading and venture capital firm. We focus across the crypto and blockchain ecosystem with a focus on some of the earlier stage investments, at least as of late. We're one of the earliest firms to enter the space, started, started doing research in, in 2013, ultimately making our first investment in 2015. We have about 150 portfolio companies within the ecosystem, you know, across several different subsectors. And again, we'll get into this a little bit later in the, in the discussion, but excited about several of the different use cases within blockchain tech. We think of ourselves as really deep technologists that like to back you know, visionary teams and truly outlier founders within the space. And we're looking for you know, what we think of as, you know, category defining names within the blockchain group. As we think about CMT as a whole and why are we qualified to do so, in addition to the 10 years of research we've been doing in the space, you know, the, the, the CMT group was founded in 1997 as a global electronic trading firm. So the development of hardware and software technology to facilitate, you know, cross-border transactions, you know, specifically equity options today is really in our DNA. I spend, you know, 95 plus percent, you know, of my day within the venture capital ecosystem of, of CMT Digital. And I'm really, really excited about what we're building. A little bit of a preview into how I got there. So I did, you know, my, my master's thesis when I was at Kellogg at Northwestern on emerging and frontier markets. And so I, I loved thinking about if we were to build a new underlying infrastructure and technology today, to support our financial system, would we do it differently? And I think the answer is a resounding yes, both a bipartisan yes and for practitioners within the private markets. I think we would agree yes as well. And that was kind of a key area of focus for me as I did some of my master's work and, and what really got me excited several years ago 
2018, you know, as I really dug in. I've spent the last almost 12 years of my career in traditional financial institutions, both in commercial banking investing, and then on the advisory side at an investment bank as well. And one of the things I think is so cool and a differentiator in CMT here too is you know, it's our multi-generational approach to investing within these space. It's our two co-founders, Scott Casto and Yacht Dirk Reuters, who started the business in 1997 and bring, I'll say, you know, a little bit of an older generational approach to, you know, some of the younger members in our team who bring, you know, more of a gaming aspect, you know, and, and technology forward thinking, you know, to how we're investing in this ecosystem. So at a high level, what is happening with the adoption of blockchain technology? Because one thing I'm seeing when I looked at transcript yeah. trends, and when you look at transcripts of conference calls of companies that mention blockchain, you see the first wave in 2018 and then a decline. And then the second wave, 2021, 2022, right now we're at a decline again. No, and that's a great point, Nick. And I know we, we talked about that a little bit before our discussion. It, it's no secret, right? How the blockchain and crypto ecosystem is doing at a given point in time. And what I mean by that is there are very few venture capital ecosystems in the history of global venture capital that can be tracked through a public mark, right? On a 24-7 basis, right? That's part of the beauty of Bitcoin. But at the same time, you can see kind of real life, real time sentiment going through a public mark, right? Bitcoin is, is, is marked on, right? On a second, a second basis across exchanges. Same thing with Ethereum and some of the other larger coins and really all of the altcoins for that particular matter. And so that, that theme, that wave, you know, has created some additional volatility within the industry as we still are. And we talk about this constantly, you know, at our firm, a very nascent industry to date. When I take a step back and I had a conversation with one of our co-founders, John Dirk Luter about this last week, you know, and think about kind of the history of financial tech and what that's looked like. It's been a buzzword that's also been used, you know, not only for financial institutions, but how payments are accepted, you know, and across kind of the B2C market. But when you think about financial technology, it's been just, you know, 15 years ago, which just the UX, UI that people slapped onto some of the older infrastructure. Today, we're working on changing and building that underlying infrastructure through blockchain tech and specifically within the payment space. We can get into some other use case applications, but I think really it's, it's the financial use case that, that, that targets what you're talking about within some of the larger Fortune 500 companies. And how does this relate to the legacy financial system? Because we, we just went through a major shock with the original bank crisis here in the United States. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how the crypto markets have reacted and specifically Bitcoin has reacted, you know, during some of the recent, I'll say financial, financial banking institution turmoil. So Bitcoin rallied you know, about 9% from March 5th to March 15th. And that was the time period in which Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and Silvergate Bank all ceased operations, all of which, right, it was a little bit different story with each institution. But nonetheless, I think the theme was the same. And people were looking for you know, a flight to safety. And a lot of folks interpreted that through the ability to exchange USD, you know, for Bitcoin or 
you know, whatever underlying fiat currency they were using throughout the globe. You know, we believe that some of the recent socks to the legacy financial system, you know, make it, make it more clear that we're ready for a change, you know, especially within the, within the developed markets. And I think it helps prove out kind of what I mentioned on, on, on the earlier part of the call. And that's, if we had to do this all over again within our financial system, would we do things a little bit differently? And we're seeing, you know, emerging markets now build out some new infrastructure to support payment flows. You know, banks have been so heavily regulated since the 2000s, you know, that, that Wall Street has been hesitant to take real risk. And we've seen kind of the rise of the shadow banking system, which in fact has then added, you know, some additional risk profiles. And I won't dive you know, deep into that here, but there's a lot of good white papers on understanding the broader risk of the financial system today and some of the concentration that takes place with these alternative asset managers. What I think we can right agree on is that a little bit more transparency would be helpful. And when you see, you know, some open source ecosystems like BTC, right, like ETH, you start to understand the more research you do, some of the key use cases around the globe to support that new infrastructure coming in place for payment technology. So what about the underlying technology? How does, how yeah. does this all come together? The underlying technology, Nick, you know, we believe we're now at an internet of value and there is a new layer, you know, of the internet that's going to support a more broad economy. And so users are going to own and control their own data as a part of blockchains, and that's going to facilitate this, this whole new paradigm. Aside from the ability to monetize your own footprint, we think the ability to own your own digital footprint as an asset is revolutionary. And I'll pause there for a second because there are so many, right? When we think about the gig economy and the content creator economy, there are so many folks that rely on legacy web two names to help them right earn a living, whether that is within Instagram and YouTube, Reddit, et cetera. This is a situation where you now have the ability to take back the ownership of that data and monetize it or give it away however you see fit. That's really, really, really powerful. And we've seen that right through large groups, Reddit and Twitter is two examples, right, that are now right? Close sourcing their data. They've realized that it's not just the communication between parties that's super valuable with on their web two platform, but it's the underlying data. And, and that underlying data set is becoming more and more important. We've seen open AI as an AI platform that has grown tremendously and faster than any other company in the history of the world in terms of monthly active users, but how valuable that underlying data set is, right? What is open AI? It's a large database with UX, UI on the front end, that's ultimately generating, right? It's an LLM that's, that's generating real-time responses for users around the world. So I think that whole piece, you know, in, in terms of monetizing your own digital asset footprint is so important. And I think kind of the, 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 the second piece, and really, again, back to the most interesting use case or first use case for, for, for blockchain tech, and probably the easiest to understand is the underlying payment rails. Right. We know Visa, MasterCard and other large financial institutions, JP Morgan as well, through their whole Onyx platform are building out new rails and infrastructure to support payments and support infrastructure 
to transact. Super, super important as we think about the next steps of blockchain tech and a use case and the first use case in blockchain tech. You speak with a lot of institutional investors in your role and how are they thinking about supporting the ecosystem currently? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. And the question that I think a lot of venture capital firms are discussing right now. So I'll talk about, I'll take a step back and talk about the broader kind of macro venture ecosystem that I think is very applicable to us and our specific investment thesis within crypto and blockchain tech. Nick, I think about the ecosystem as a flywheel. And so we, we talked previously a little bit about what's going on in the IPO market. And some groups will say, especially in the institutional community, okay, well, how does the IPO market affect what you're doing and the, you know, some of the earliest stage investments you're making within venture capital? And really it's a function of broad-based macro liquidity. So as our companies grow and ultimately look for li- liquidity events, we get into our harvest period within our venture cycle, right? So we invest, we help that company grow, flourish, and then ultimately find exit opportunities. As those companies find exit opportunities, that provides liquidity to us at the venture capital level. And we then distribute that out to the limited partner base. That limited partner base, right, then reinvests back into the ecosystem, into the venture capital community, and that flywheel continues. And so as capital is more readily available in the market through the IPO market, right, you see that capital get recycled and more investments getting made. That's, that's kind of where we're at right now. As the IPO market is ultimately slowed down, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing less liquidity in the market, which is giving us you know, as venture capital firms a bit of pause as we think about investing. The, the dynamic in the industry today is a little bit different because groups have raised so much money over the last 24 months and less than 50% of that capital has been deployed. And so. There's plenty of dry powder on the sidelines to support the best founders in the community, which, which is a great thing. You know, we're sitting on plenty of dry powder. We're really excited about what we're seeing come through the door from the founder perspective as well. Okay. Completely separate from the financial ecosystem, we have this, this founder community. And I've heard a couple different folks, both on the founder side and on the venture capital side, especially, you know, venture capitalists who have been founders at, at one point in their career you know, talk about founding a business is a very irrational thing to do. A lot of these people are very talented people that could go into corporate America and do very, very well, but they've chosen to take a very risky path of entrepreneurship to build a business. And that has not stopped and typically does not correlate with the broader macro markets. Now, Dirk and I were having a conversation about this last week. We have not seen a drop-off in the quality of founders and the quality of deals that are ultimately coming to market in, in the blockchain space. And I think that, that resonates as I talk to my friends across other venture capital firms, you know, across venture capital, which is very, very exciting, not only for us as an industry, when we think about core developers, founders helping to build our business, but for the venture capital community as a whole. You know, the U.S. has a way, and we can talk a little bit about the regulatory environment later in this call, but the U.S. has, you know, a way of building a venture ecosystem that's like no other. As a venture capital firm, what types of projects are you currently excited about? Yeah, I think where we're seeing the best projects, and this is a great follow-up question 
to the question on what's happening in the ecosystem, we're seeing the best projects right now, Nick, at the earliest stages. There's so, so much underlying technology that needs to be built to help support this new industry that a lot of companies in that kind of seed series A stage are in a really, really good spot, not only from a macro perspective, as I think about it as a financial investor, but also from an industry nascency perspective and building what's going to be a technology to, you know, sub-technology within blockchain that's going to support the broader ecosystem. So I think kind of that seed series A stage, you know, is really interesting for us. And then a lot of the larger companies that have made a big, you know, a big name for themselves. And you can take a look at our portfolio on our website. We're really excited about, you know, some of the later stage companies as well that we anticipate, you know, ultimately going to the IPO market within the next couple of years, you know, when that opens up. Hmm. The, the blockchain ecosystem is pretty broad. And if you could rank kind of your top three subsectors where you see the most opportunity, what would, what would that be? Great follow-up question, especially given I've been so vague in the conversation thus far, I think what we think about is the best three areas right now would be kind of first and foremost core infrastructure opportunities. And part of that is a function of where our DNA is, right? Where the two entrepreneurs, Scott Casto and, 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 and Yandark Luders, you know, started building the business, you know, back in 97, you know, through, through hardware and software, it's really, it's really blockchain underlying tools and infrastructure to support an easier user experience to both read and write on blockchains. I think lower level account abstraction tech is super, super important to us right now. And it makes right using blockchains much easier for non-technical teams. And that's ultimately the goal is to serve the masses in this community. I think payments infrastructure, and we take a, a lot of the companies that we've invested in on the payment side, I'll use, you know, Stripe, and what Jack Mallard is doing is a great example in the ability to bring Bitcoin to, to the masses. They're really excited about, you know, what Jack's doing globally and what he's done in El Salvador to, to, to help build out you know, a global ecosystem for, for blockchain. And then I think, you know, within that core infrastructure opportunity, it's, it's the on and off ramps as well. And it's the on and off ramps around the globe. You know, I think we as a U.S. have have more options, or at least did prior to what's going on currently in the regulatory environment for on-off ramps here. But I think on-off ramps globally and giving people access to this technology is one of the other kind of most important pieces of core infrastructure. The next piece, you know, really a key area of focus for us is content generation, you know, content hubs. And, and what do I mean by that? It's, it's, it's the builder economy, it's digital fashion, it's gaming, it's sports, it's loyalty programs tied to a lot of the big brands that we know today, like a Starbucks or it's Nike, right? And the NFT drop that they've done within the metaverse, driving rewards, driving engagements, you know, across real world and metaverse technology is going to be a great use case for blockchain tech over the next five years or so. You know, I think all of us have a relationship and a person, you know, somebody who's in the gaming environment today. And, and as you think about, you know, people in the gaming environment, that, that really is you know, a, a true metaverse. It was Microsoft's, you know, purchase of Activision, which allows them to take that next step into the metaverse type environment. And one of the things that, that, that really excites us about our investment thesis you know, in digital content and hubs 
And then I think real world experience as well. I'll use one example of, of Webstock and, and what Brian Stollery is trying to build through a real life entertainment business and loyalty of, of some of your favorite artists. That's going to continue to, to, to proliferate within the entertainment economy as well. And so those are, those are probably, you know, the, the, you know, top two areas that we think are not only monetizable investments, but also very, very you know, exciting underlying ecosystems and substructure. The third one would probably be a collaboration, you know, of blockchain and AI. And I think that whole thesis in developing the monetization of LLMs will continue to be refined over the next 12 to 18 to, to 24 months. But how do you monetize some of these large databases? And you could do so through a decentralized blockchain, right? Where people you know, are able to exchange tokens and, and ascribe value to the data for which they're receiving. And I think that thesis is going to continue to build you know, within a lot of our you know, ourselves and then, and then our, 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 our partners within crypto and blockchain, venture capital. And... There is quite a bit of variability geographically in, in the yeah. adoption of the technology you already mentioned, San Salvador obviously being a very interesting experiment, if you can call it that. How, how does this tie into your investment thesis? Yeah, no, there, there absolutely is. I think we think of you know, blockchain tech as an innately global technology. And we see and have invested heavily in large opportunities in both Europe and Asia in this market too. So we hired Joseph Lassen about a year ago, who's in London, you know, covering that market for us, Augie Iliag uh, in Singapore, who's really focused on what's going on in the Asian market. But we're seeing, you know, not only, you know, an uptick in, in founder expertise in those markets, but then the broader venture ecosystem starting to catch up with, you know, what we're seeing in the U.S., which is very, very exciting. I think as you think about underlying kind of core sub-segment investable opportunities in Asia, we're seeing a lot within the gaming space and the gaming ecosystem there is very developed. Within the European markets, DLT Finance is a good example of a portfolio company that we have that's, that's building out you know, a broader trading platform within crypto in Germany and Frankfurt specifically, you know, to help trade across the broader EU and onboard you know, people into, into the crypto economy. So I think those are, those are two examples of other markets, but it is like, it is, it is an innately global piece of tech that's going to facilitate, you know, cross-border transactions for decades to come. Any comments about the U S we certainly had very interesting regulatory developments recently. Yeah, no. And I know, you know, there's, there's constant updates. So, you know, if I spoke too deeply about what's going on in the U.S. regulatory system. It could, uh, some of that information can be stale here very quickly. I think, you know, the facts, and I've mentioned this already, that we have, you know, a liquid digital asset market capitalization in real time. You can, you could put your finger on the pulse of what's going on within this, you know, venture capital industry relatively quickly. And I think, you know, ultimately for us here in the U.S., you know, we do, we do ebb and flow with announcements on the regulatory side. And, and ultimately, we're going to need to come up with and follow the rest of the world with a framework not that dissimilar to the markets and crypto assets regulation to, to, to the MECA documentation that was put in place within the European Union. And so, you know, I, I think ultimately U.S. lawmakers are going to get to a point where, where they get it right. You know, we're super involved 
you know, at our partnerships with the blockchain association and, you know, and the chamber of digital commerce to help us, you know, develop a framework ultimately that's going to allow us to participate in what I believe is the best investment opportunity, you know, of our generation. I think as we think about the world more broadly outside of just, you know, us and Europe, you know, Japan, for instance, is, is a very forward thinking country when it comes to what's going on, you know, in, 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 in crypto, you know, and then developments, you know, out East within, you know, within Hong Kong as well, there's been some recent announcements there that are also very exciting. And so I know your question was specifically tied to what's going on in the U S and I think the answer is the U S needs, needs to follow suit and ultimately come up with, and it needs to be regulated. That is our opinion, right? Needs to come up with a regulatory framework that helps us take a step forward. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Nick, thank you very much. Really appreciate you having me on. Today we spoke with Eric Ellingson, partner at CMT Digital, who gave us a phenomenal overview of what's going on with the blockchain ecosystem globally. We'll have all the relevant links in the show notes. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. My name is Nick Mazing, and you can find us on all the major platforms. Thank you for watching or listening. Thank you for joining us. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. Keep in mind that all views presented here are the views of the guests and hosts and do not represent the views of their employers or of AlphaSense. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investing, tax, legal, or medical advice. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review and subscribe for more.